0: Today's podcast, we are bringing it back. We're going abroad with Kevin Clark. We're going to talk football with him and also college football. I've got my own little college football open out of the anatomy of a take and life advice. So please enjoy. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved quick bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus, and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Before I get to what I really want to focus on here, and that's college football and the playoff committee having the top four teams set, and I think which is basically the right order, but some some slight disagreement that I would allow and other that I, I wouldn't. I'm just going to give you the anatomy of a take a little bit because as I was locked into the early slate for the NFL yesterday, the game I wanted to watch the most was Cincinnati against the LA Chargers, and... The Chargers get up 24-0. Now, going into this game, I'm like, you know what? Remember when Cincinnati was the one seed, and then they got smoked by the Browns? That Browns loss was the only loss they had all season long where they weren't in the game. And this is a competitive team with a really good quarterback, with a great outside receiver, and a better offensive line. And the Chargers have their issues on defense. They have their issues. They lost Bosa in this game on top of everything else. Um, The offensive line is not very good. I really like the receivers, although you know, after Keenan, maybe not that consistent. But I'm just watching this game. It's at Cincinnati, and I'm going into this knowing, because this is the job. I'm like, what can I come up with from this game? Because I'm going, you know what? I think I, I want to be back on Cincinnati. I might start saying some dangerous shit about who Cincinnati is, because I like the personnel. And again, you run through their entire season, their resume, almost like a college football team, and you go, they've been really, really good, other than that fluky Browns loss that doesn't make any sense, because the Browns have been a mess. So then it's 24-0. And I was like, all right, maybe that's not the segment that I'm going to open with. But you know what? It's been kind of short fields, a little fluky, the Jamar Chase pick, which really was, you know, again, Burrow hits Chase, and then he bobbles it, ends up being a pick on the, on the quarterback. Um, and then I'm kind of watching the way the game, like they were up 24-0 so fast. I'm like, all right, I think Cincinnati may still have a chance. Oh, they're starting to get to Herbert a little bit here. Um, granted Burrow's pinky looked like it was broken. Um, and then Burrow starts putting together some of these drives where I'm thinking, you know what, this is what I love about Burrow. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's 24, 22, right? Uh, (laughs) Burrow, there's other quarterbacks that like when they would be down multiple scores, they would play it like it was a normal situation and whereas burrow i felt like in two minutes move the football down the field i go this is what i like about this guy because there'd be other quarterbacks kirk cousins that would just hey i'm gonna dink and dunk and attack and hey i made it a one score game and even though kirk has been better this year minnesota i think is a very um, competitive team There's a difference between, hey, we scored a touchdown and then also starting understanding game situation, being like, well, no, we need you to move the football here a little bit. So I kept having these moments where I was talking myself back into the original segment that I wanted to do because I was like, Cincinnati's going to come back and win this game. Almost tweeted it, almost started saying, again, dangerous things about where they were in the AFC. And then uh, they had a fumble return for a touchdown, 31-22, 38-22, games over. Um, and again, Burrow had a drive in there where I thought, hey, they're going to do this, and they threw a pick in the end zone because uh, I was like, "Does Burrow better than Herbert? Do I like him better than that? Would I say that in the Open? Would I say Cincinnati's the best team in the AFC? Would I say this team with a win today against the Chargers really was not competitive in only one game, and we don't give them enough credit for all that? And then the final score looks like they got absolutely smoked, and I was like, maybe I won't do that for the Open. So that's how this job works sometimes. Uh, at least I don't have a paper deadline. So I do want to do college football instead. The rankings are right, Bama, Michigan, Georgia, Cincinnati. If you had some pushback and saying Michigan should be one over Bama, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. Uh, I, don't, I don't really see it that way. And look, I'll just start with the college football part of this. I guess I was wrong about Bama, but God, I didn't feel wrong. Whether it was getting gashed by Florida in the ground, not being able to block A&M, six rushing yards against LSU, an actual shootout when they couldn't stop Arkansas, and then having to go to multiple overtimes against Auburn and TJ Finley, who basically had one leg towards the end of that game. Um, And then, of course, they come in and block Georgia all day, right? Because, of course, of course they did. They've given us multiple games of evidence that they weren't going to be able to do that, that this offensive line was a problem. And then Bryce Young, who not only stepped up in that 97-yard legacy building drive against Auburn, where he probably won the Heisman with that and an SEC title— um, although I don't love just, hey, who was the best team? Let's give their quarterback the Heisman. Bryce Young had that kind of game. He had that kind of closing moment against Auburn and that kind of game against a statistical defense in Georgia that has been really special all year long. So I don't have a problem if Bryce ends up winning the entire Heisman. Um it's frustrating because you watch, I've watched every Bama game except for the bye before Auburn. And I'm like, man, this just isn't the same. And look at what George is doing here against all these different teams. It was kind of the way I felt about Ohio State, with just even though they're good, and I know it's Ohio State, it was just hard to give up on them. You're like, you know, but they're just not as physical. But it's still kind of hard to pull the trigger when you look at the history with Michigan. You know, if everybody who had picked Ohio State in that game and then they pull it out somehow, you're going, all right, well, I was an idiot. I mean, at some point it has to happen. And for Michigan, it finally happened in the Ohio State game. Um, but certainly not the case for Georgia that still finds ways to lose to Bama all the time, despite having talent that I would say even match them except a quarterback. Uh, then it turns into a weird game with Georgia where you start doing a like, well, how good were they? I mean, at some point we have to like allow that maybe somebody's good, you know, because a lot of people were doing the same shit about Bama until they went out and beat Georgia. How many teams do you actually think beat Georgia in that matchup? Because it's not it's not more than five. And it's probably closer to three. And I think, obviously, we give Michigan that kind of chance. I'm sure Ohio State, even with their blocking issues, maybe over the course of the game and how good C.J. Stroud is, having the better quarterback over Stinson Bennett gives you that kind of chance. But what I don't love about the industry, specific to college football, is that we start trying to say, like, basically everybody sucks. And it's just not fair. Um, I was not high on Iowa because I watched Iowa all season long. And I got that one right. I didn't think they were that good. Like, cool, punting. Hey, this is the way they play. All right, great. Um, But with Bama, it was more about, I guess you had to allow them the one-game chance here to pull this off, but it just never really felt like that. So, again, the example there, watching all season long was misleading with one team and right on point with what we saw from Iowa. But then it kind of turned into, like, not only did Georgia have a weak schedule, but let's vacate their 12 fucking wins. You're like, all right, relax here. What Georgia did this year was really special statistically. No, the strength of schedule wasn't that great. Um, and even though they lost to Bama, it wasn't like it was 41-3 to either. Like, there were moments in that game where you felt like Georgia was playing with them, but Bryce Young was that good. The deep throw Jameson Jamison Williams was just out of this world. And I think a lot of times quarterbacks get too much credit on deep balls because the receiver runs underneath it. You know, it'd be like giving... <laughs> it'd be like giving the batter credit for a center fielder catching a fly ball on the run. You know, it's really the guy catching the ball that's making it look better, but there are the rare examples where somebody is full speed, especially off of a move where it's a stop and go, which timing wise is so hard to pull off. And then the ball's offline and the receiver makes up for it. In this case, it felt like a full stride thing, full speed and and Bryce had the ball right there to him. So, you know, I, To then turn it into, well, wait a minute, Georgia loses this game and their strength of schedule sucks and the defense is overrated and their quarterback isn't that good, when I even told you all season long, I kept having their doubts about their offense, but then I would look at their yards per play among Power 5 teams and they were second only to Ohio State. You're like, okay, but there's another stat that's through the roof. And again, the point differential. It wasn't like they were winning all these games by a field goal. They were destroying everybody by 35 points on average. So that actually is supposed to mean something. So what does it mean? Everybody who hates Notre Dame wants them in the play because Georgia lost this game? like That doesn't seem to make a ton of sense either. I think the real rule for me is always this. We hold teams that we don't like to a standard that we don't hold the teams that we do like to. I'm glad Cincinnati got in. I've told you all season I don't really love the non-Power 5 teams being in this because I just don't think the challenge is the same for them, but they have an NFL quarterback. They've got a terrific running back. They've got a great secondary. They beat everybody they were supposed to play. Houston's a good football team. I think they beat Notre Dame when Notre Dame was a lesser version of themselves. It doesn't fucking matter. It counts for this one, and I'm glad they're in there so people don't constantly think that there's zero chance and there's this whole vendetta against them. I think there's a... I don't even know if bias is the right word. I think that they're looked at as having an easier path, and so they're graded with a stricter set of conditions. And now they're in it, and we'll see what happens. And if Cincinnati's blasted in their matchup against Alabama, it doesn't mean that we should then pivot it away and be like, oh, that's why I don't want any of those non-group of five. I wouldn't say that, even though I'm probably anti them in general. I don't think that that would be a fair thing to say. Oklahoma's gotten smashed. Ohio State had... An awful playoff game. Clemson had six points in one of their playoff games. Notre Dame's been miserable in their two for the most part, um, which again is sort of ironic that people would be arguing who to be in that fourth spot if you were so anti-Georgia. I think what bothers me is it's not all the conversation around it. It's that when you do this for a living and you are pointing out this bias that you yourself are just as guilty of. Like My buddy Cannell and I, we go at it all the time. He had Wake Forest ahead of ahead of Bama at one point this year. And I don't even know that he's serious about it, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to call him on it when we have him on. We're going to have him on again a couple more times. And we are friends, but I'll look at that stuff and be like, you realize you're doing the shit almost to a more extreme level than that that you're accusing everybody else of. Joel Cloud had Oklahoma 2 in front of Alabama at one point when he was doing his rankings. There was nothing, nothing that told you, even with a disappointing Alabama, that Oklahoma deserved to be ahead of them. You want to be down on Bama? No problem. Like we said at the top, they gave us reason to be down on them, and yet there they are, the number one seed and deserving of it. Um, again, like I said, if you have Michigan ahead of them, I'm not going to get into a huge argument with you about it. I think Bama's the right call. Michigan is just as deserving of, of at least consideration. But at the end of the Big Ten championship game, it was almost it felt like Clatt and, and Gus Johnson had it planned out where they were going to talk about it, where Clatt was like, well, I think the committee will have Bama one, Michigan two, whatever. And then Gus jumps in. He goes, well, wait a minute. And then he's like, hey, that's not how I would have it. Clatt was like, I'd have Michigan one. All right, again, fine. But then Gus jumps in. He goes, well, that's bias. Why is it bias? Why is it bias to have Bama one ahead of Michigan? That's not bias. It's It doesn't make any sense. And honestly, Joel and Gus exposed themselves a bit. And I like Joel a lot. We expect to have him on the show at some point. He's been kind of tough to book. Um, I don't think he's going to be mad about this because I've even brought it up before. But at the end of the 2017 Big Ten Championship game, this was the scenario. You had Ohio State who lost to Oklahoma at home 31-16. They lost to an unranked Iowa team 55-24. So they had two losses and then beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game. And at the end of that, guys are like, well, partner, you think there's any doubt? And Klatt's like, no doubt for me whatsoever. Ohio State should be in the playoff. You're like, are you guys forgetting 11 and 1 Alabama? It feels like you're forgetting 11 and 1 Alabama. You want to have Ohio State in because you think you've watched all the teams and you just think they're a better football team. That's fine. Okay. But to not even include Alabama in that breakdown towards an end of a game, again, that was four years ago, but I'll never forget it because I'm at home just like I was on Saturday listening to the idea that Michigan not being ahead of Alabama was some injustice that we needed a committee to debate over. Like, it was ridiculous. Bama was 11-1. and one with the, They weren't in the SEC title game, but they had lost to number six Auburn. And guess who was out? Ohio State was out. And Bama won another national title. So there are just too many times where I feel like in the business, I can put together any strength of schedule. I can put together a thing where it's against current top 25s, non-current top 25s. I can manipulate the numbers almost any way I want to to twist this into something that I'd like to root for. But all I'm really rooting for is an honest approach to all of it. Look, if somebody who watches, does it for a living and consumes all of the content, okay? My Saturdays are pretty booked in the fall, so I care about this stuff. I just think there's there's a lot of examples of people that are accusing everyone of doing the same stuff that they're actually doing. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock, Hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call? Old school guy probably should call. It's like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time. Said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I do not even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options, to protect the things you value most. File a thing right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did. And... Even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Kevin Clark, one of our favorites. Haven't had him on in a while. host of the NFL Ringer Show and Ringer Columnist. This is going to show some real versatility here, folks. Um, We will talk a lot of NFL. We will talk some college ball as well. There could be even breaking news while we're taping this. It may happen after we're done and it's posted. And a return of going abroad because F1, I don't even know how to explain this weekend's race. So we've been, I've been slacking. No one else is slacking. It's been on me. So, Kevin, good day to you, sir. How are you? I'm great. Uh, big sports weekend. There you go. Summed it up perfectly. We got it. We're getting it all in. All right. Here's, uh, here's where I want to start. I, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, um, it was almost the anatomy of a take where I was watching yeah. Cincinnati and the Chargers. Uh, that was the game I was most locked into in the early window. I am watching it going, you know what? Cincinnati is really good. And right when I thought they were really good, they get blown out by the Browns. And then it kind of like shook us again. And you know what? They're good. And now they're down 24 nothing, And then I'm like, well, this sucks. And then I'm like, they're going to come back and win this game. And they did not do those things. Uh, I I saw people arguing about Herbert versus Burrow. And in sure. the moment when I was watching Burrow, I go, this is why I love Burrow. Because he was doing some things that, that clearly I mentioned. Um, give me your Cincinnati take in a game that went sideways for them and also where you are with the Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow comp, because those are the two guys, you know, look, there's another handful of guys that are going to be yeah. in that conversation, but those two dudes for about a decade, I think will be sitting here being like, remember when we debated this and there'll be one clear winner, or maybe they won't be great. I don't know.
1: Tua completing 80% of his passes down two yards down the field. Isn't doing it for you. He's not put, he's not in that conversation right now because of that. Um, no, so. Okay, so th- there's a couple things to unpack here. Number one is when I check around the league about this debate, and I've been doing it for a couple of weeks now um, because I find it really fascinating, is you find out pretty quickly how much front office opinions are rooted in, in draft priors. And a lot of this, I think, from the league standpoint for me, and this is probably, it probably leaks into our brains for, for various reasons. I'll get to that in a second. But like Burrow is just a different dude than, than Justin Herbert. Um you know, Joe, Joe Burrow, You know, the Bengals basically want him being the offensive coordinator at some point down the road. He basically runs offensive meetings. Um, when I talk to those guys down in Cincinnati, they say the goal was him for, for him to be in, quote, Peyton Manning mode down the road. Um, So they want to be a different guy than what Herbert wants. Herbert played a game yesterday, which we all wanted him to see. He had the longest depth of target he's he's had, uh, I think, ever. Uh, it was 10 yards down the field. Joe Lombardi opened up the offense. Um, He was, I think, 5 of 7 on deep balls, uh, 85% adjusting completion percentage, according to, to Pro Football Focus. Um, So we're seeing Justin Herbert at full throttle, and he looks better than Joe Burrow at full throttle. And I think that if this continues, I think it's Herbert. But I also think that Burrow has the capability to make up the value in other ways. And I think that from a leadership standpoint, I think Burrow's probably the guy. Herbert's a little more quiet. And I also think you know, just looking at the – I'm a huge – you are too – a huge fan of looking at the situation a quarterback is put in. The Chargers have a better GM, a better head coach. They do not have a better play caller. Um, they don't have, have a I better offense.
0: With- the offensive line situation is is a disaster right now. I mean, what Herbert did in that game, considering, um, and I know there were some short drives and turnovers yeah. that led to them, to, you know, having a million points immediately. Is which is why I thought Cincinnati still had a chance in the game. But you know, I saw some debate about who had played a better game in that one. I think the depth of target and the offensive line part of it, and losing all momentum, and then coming back and winning the game the way they did—that one kind of feels like it has to go in Herbert's direction, not just it is—it
1: is going in Herbert's direction. Yeah. It is going in Herbert's direction. I think anybody who said it was going in Burrow's direction is overthinking themselves. PFF had it this morning that the Burrow played better because he had more big time throws. And yeah, he had less drops. Uh, Burrow had four yeah. drops yesterday from his receivers. Uh, Herbert had zero. Um, by the way, Burrow hurt his pinky earlier, so we d- we don't even know kind of what that would look like if he wasn't literally screaming on the sidelines. Um, but this is kind of this to me is one of the most fascinating debates in football. Um, and and it goes to like if you redrafted, who would go first overall? We had Bruce Selman on the podcast a couple weeks ago. He said he would still take Burrow um, because he's been around Burrow and understands he's also also obviously been around Herbert. But I think a lot of this is still priors, and I think that. If both of these guys get put in, in optimal situations over the next five years, I think I think I'm starting to come around to the idea that Herbert could be better just because I mean, everybody I trust from a tape standpoint says that his throws are absolutely perfect. And I don't know, I'm, I go I'm going to go back and forth of this a hundred times. I just think the throws and the actual tape Herbert throws a better ball. Burrow has the capability to make that up in other areas of the game. That's my take.
0: Yeah, And that result was huge because both teams were seven and five. Chargers are the sixth seed. Cincinnati's the last seed is a seven seed. Um, and Cincinnati has the tiebreaker over them right now because of that head to head. But when I look at Cincinnati, when I think, okay, other than yesterday in the Browns game, they've been competitive in every single game. Um, there there are more statistical things I like about them. You know, Baltimore almost ended the day with a one seed again, and the last month has been brutal for them. Lamar, I thought, sucked again yesterday. And I yeah. think I'll just transition to that. And Tennessee, like the eight and four is irrelevant because it doesn't really matter here. So I still think I'd put Cincinnati ahead of like three teams that are ahead of them right now. Uh although it just feels stupid saying it after the Chargers part of it. And I'm glad you brought up the burrow thing because as I mentioned, you know, again at the top, um, it was clearly a problem I, you know it wasn't just the dramatic yelling I mean when he's handing it off with the other hand and he was doing some of the ball handling stuff with the offhand you're like okay this is this is a problem here um I don't want to stay on it then let's just go to Lamar because you know right when I started giving Lamar all this credit for some of the things that he, were, yeah. he was changing about intermediate throws and and how he was realizing he was being defended <laughs> I I don't know if this is an all blitz thing it felt that way in uh, against Miami, that <laughs> it felt was. like that with Cleveland with the four picks. I don't. Yeah. Again, I'd have to know what the the charts say. I don't feel like it was just full out blitz all day from Pittsburgh. Um, the way it was in some of those other games, and I know he got the last touchdown to almost get him the win with a two point conversion. But what's going on with Lamar the last month?
1: Okay, so it, it, part of it was the blitzes. Um, Highsmith and Watt had career highs in pressures, and that's just going to happen sometimes because of the, the way Lamar plays. Uh, but he was blitzed in the first half. Forty-six percent of his dropbacks. Um, okay, so that is a huge number. Yeah, yeah, they they they, they, they were getting after him. Um, the the mid range stuff you mentioned it. It was it was bad. Uh, Lamar was four, four of eight on medi- medium range targets, one of three on deep passes. Um, it was bad, and and it's interesting to me. You mentioned the AFC. I, I saw one of the Ravens writers say that there. Uh, I, this is the first time since two thousand two that every team at this point in a conference in the AFC uh, has four losses. So there's some parity here, and there's a malaise I think is really weird. And I don't know what that is because I've heard a bunch of theories. I've heard that the extra week. Teams are adjusting to it a little more. I think that you can't overlook the lack of a buy and the extra uh, playoff spot as a, a, a with, with the increased season as a way to maybe on a week to week basis have less urgency um, if teams aren't battling for that second buy spot. I mean, that's just a league-wide thing. That's an AFC thing about why maybe there's a little more parity than normal, and I, I think there's five other theories that we can get to later. Um, but Lamar Jackson is one and in, one in two against Pittsburgh, okay? He has eight turnovers in in those three games. He's been sacked 16 times. And he's just missing throws. I mean, like, that was the thing. I was reading the postgame quotes from Harbaugh, Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews was open. There was some pressure from T.J. Watt that was significant, but he was wide open, and Lamar is missing throws. Um, I don't know... I don't know what that is. Um, I think he's he's being careless with the ball. I think that when I was reading some of the Ravens writers and Ravens analysts this morning, I think that they, you know, I think Trent Dilfer says it best. Um, Lamar Jackson is not playing kind of bogey golf when he gets in trouble. He's really, really trying to make things happen. And so we need some some careless passes. And I think that right now he needs to learn how to play boring football. I know that's the prescription for like half of the league, especially any quarterback under 30. But I think that there are situations where the Ravens could win games if he just... Uh, took took the short ones uh, a little bit more, and 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 they, listen, there's there's a, there's a handful of problems here. Um, the fact that, by the way, they lost Marlon Humphrey, that's the reason they had to go for two because they were basically out of cornerbacks. That is a huge, huge, huge loss. Um, but I'm I would say I'm concerned about the Ravens, but I'm so concerned about every AFC team that I just put them in one pot and say we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, Lamar, when you think about the rest of the roster and the injury part of this stuff, he's done as good of a job. If you're just looking at which quarterback has carried his team to a record, that's really impressive and and done felt like it on his own. I mean, that's why, you know, I wouldn't just write him off of the MVP thing. I mean, he he can turn this around. The broadcast is big on him. Um holding on the ball a little bit too much. They were saying that yeah. Hollywood and Andrews on the sideline were giving him, like, you know, I don't think Lamar's the kind of guy that you're going to get on the way at, like, a Daniel Jones might get yelled at. You know, <laughs> like lamar. Lamar's lamar got more status. I think his teammates always love him because he's got such a great personality. But he, Lamar has, like, this this part of him that I think is both frustrating the evaluation that he can have, like, a bad first down, bad second down, and then the most amazing third down you've ever seen, and you're moving the chains. So it, it's right. almost like, caught looking, caught looking, and then, you know, bottom of the seventh, the three-run homer. You know what I'm saying? So, like, again, that's different. But even on that last drive, he started with what would have been a pick, but there was a flag. Yeah. And then there was a fumble that was called off. Um and then he hit like two deep throws. So you're like, okay, so what's what the hell is going on with him right now? So whatever. Um, I think that's fair. But when the Ravens, you know, very well could have been the one seed after this week, if they get that two-point conversion, I'd had a really hard time being like, yeah, that's the team to beat. That's the team to beat in the AFC. Kansas City wins last night. Um, it's they're doing it with defense, Kevin, at this point. Uh 56 points allowed in the last five games. Yeah. They've won a bunch in a row. They're in first in the, their division. Um, but Mahomes with another underwhelming offensive game. So where are you with Kansas City as the four seed?
1: Okay, so my feeling on this is that if if, if Mahomes is the problem, and he's literally, if you look at it right now, Mahomes is... Is the problem. Uh, the, the the pocket was clean last night. Hill and Kelsey were not involved. Uh, over the past six games, and this includes a five-touchdown performance against Las Vegas, uh, Mahomes has seven touchdowns, four picks, 81 rating. Okay? And you take out that five-touchdown performance, that that's just no good. I think he's quarterback 16 or something in fantasy over that time, just to give you kind of a snapshot of what Drop that him. looks like. Yeah, drop him. Um, That is like the best news you could possibly have. In the same way, I mean, like Lamar Jackson fixes his own problems, right? That's what we just talked about, where on third down, he can hit the home run ball. Um, Right now, you know, Ryan Clark, I heard him talk about this morning, um, said that he thinks that Mahomes lacks confidence. He's just missing throws right now. And I think that to me, again, if that's the problem that needs to be solved, it will be solved. The defense has been fixed. That to me was the biggest question going into this season. Um, And I just think that uh the idea that Mahomes isn't right and listen this is a this is a league wide thing as far as defenses have gotten really good at taking away the chunk play that era of of chunk play of being able to throw um over the defense's head like that has kind of ended because of the way defenses have shifted i think every quarterback uh has been able to adjust in some parts to the fact that the, the defenses are putting a cap on that. Um, I just think that the, the the Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are figuring it out right now. Um, Mahomes is missing throws. he ask confidence. I don't believe the Super Bowl theory. There's a theory now that kind of he has the yips because of, of of how bad the Super Bowl was and chasing ghosts or seeing ghosts and. You know, I talked to him about it, and he said that he, he thought he was fleeing from clean pockets and all that stuff. I don't think the confidence ended there because he started out in September with a bunch of 130 ratings. He was fine. Something happened to him over the course of the season, whether or not it's just banged up, whether or not it's just him struggling to adjust. I don't know what it is, but I do know that if that's your problem, you're you're in a pretty good situation.
0: I loved kind of Collinsworth, although it felt a little bit like playing the results last night when he dropped down the sidearm again he's like all right well you know you don't we don't need this all the time you know uh and again yeah i'm on your corner right now doing any collinsworth so i should just get out of the way uh but you know when they, but, when but they hold were, on
1: i stole i kind of stole that from you i this the collinsworth impression i kind of stole from you because it's the same we talked about it on the yeah. show but the you know you got to come get, jason Gower gave me the note. That you have to come in laughing to do collinsworth like you have to pre laugh in order to do Collinsworth. Yeah, I don't. I don't feel that, like
0: there's stuff that I do think you've stolen from me. This isn't really one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Uh, that was just too easy. Too easy. Uh, no, it just. I think Collins were like for all the shit he gets. I think there's a lot of stuff throughout a game where I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. I, I think we're all like to this point now, where when we hear guys for so long, then we ultimately hate him. It's like it's almost like being married, where the longer you listen to somebody, the more likely you're going to be like, all right, I'm not sure. I'm and I'm I'm over that. Where I'm I'm thrilled when I get a little bit of a nugget. I love when Troy Aikman is so over a quarterback by hour two. Sure.
1: It's the sure. best because Troy's basically like, eh, not seeing it, folks. When I was at the Wall Street Journal, I went to Collinsworth's house to watch film and it was the best football experience I've ever had in my entire life. He's so smart and he did something that I, I think about this constantly, okay? And this is like the Romo thing for me, right? Where we were watching the NFC title game before the Malcolm Butler Super Bowl, okay? So it was the Seahawks, Seahawks playing. And he kept pointing to Michael Bennett And he was like, Michael Bennett wants to go offsides on every single play. Every time there's a big play, Michael Bennett is desperate to go offsides. And he just pointed that out to me, whatever. And then if you remember, when uh, New England got the ball back in the fourth quarter, there was a huge, huge, huge Michael Bennett's offsides. And Collinsworth had just seen that on tape like two weeks earlier. And he didn't even tell anybody. He just made a note of it. And he was like, man, Michael Bennett's going to go offsides in a huge spot and he did. And I just that to me is like next level. Like that's not just like oh Justin Herbert's throwing great on film. That's like I understand the game at just way higher playing than everybody else. The Rams played Jacksonville. They
0: won. Congrats. The McVay offensive numbers, I think I was I forget who had it, but it was like of the 75 McVay games, the last 3 were in the bottom yeah. 10 as far as EPA, so basically your offensive output and it it rivaled any stretch that uh, Goff had never really had a stretch that was uh, golf had never had a, as bad of a three game stretch. And look, there's just people with all sorts of shorting Stafford positions. Um, so they were thrilled to see it. I am not one of those people. I think Stafford is clearly better than golf. I'm not even sure that it's an argument. Goff, Goff just got his first win ever this week. Shout out to the Lions that was without <laughs>
1: McVeigh. Uh, no, I was happy. For Great. Him. How about that defense from Minnesota? What was that? Let everybody yeah, keep get a everything nice cushion. in front of you, keep everything in front of you. Even if, it was amazing. Zone, just, Even if it's in the end zone. Even if it's in the end zone, don't get big deep. Plant those heels.
0: If this guy goes to throw it on the back of the end zone, we'll be positioned perfectly. Maybe get a pick, seal <laughs> this thing. Uh, what, how does that happen? I, I don't. I look, Dancer so, clearly on the left, the left corner. He made a mistake with the way he. He just was trying to protect the corner or the back corner. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. Well,
1: no. So a couple of people pointed out, like the other side of the field was doing it too. It was not a player error. It was just like it was a coaching thing. I'm on Ra- Ross St. Brown. Actually, said, was asked about it after the game, and he said that the, <laughs> he said the defense they were playing was quote actually crazy, which is good. Yeah, that's it, it, a good. It's, uh, and, and, and anytime you're a uh, defensive guru like Mike Zimmer, and a, a young wide receiver says your defense is actually crazy, uh, things are going well. By the way, Detroit um, deserved that one. Uh, Minnesota did not, and Minnesota has fought
0: all season long. They are a, a team that is, I think, better than their record is. I think this snapped the streak of them being the only team in the league that has a seven-point lead or more through every single game this season because I think they only got up six in this one. Um but with the fumble late, you're like, I can't believe this is going to happen to the Lions again. So I think all of us are collectively happy for the Lions. And I think a lot of people have kind of fallen in love with Dan Campbell um, throughout sure. all of this. Because we love coaches. We love making fun of coaches that we don't think they should have the job, but we're not threatened by them. And they lose all the time that we feel bad for them.
1: He's so. a, he's also just a remarkably genuine person. Like, I hinted at this in, in my story I wrote about him. But when he started talking unprompted about the auto industry collapse in 2008, he actually teared up he choked up like he he's not he's from texas but he cares about detroit in a way that i think that i think i could see it if it was phony and 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 it's not it's not phony with with dan that's my take
0: yeah i there's a handful of other coaches if they broke down the auto industry uh Deal in Detroit, I would be like,
1: they would just keep it moving. They would just keep it moving. Yeah. I'd be like, wait, um,
0: what? Okay. So shout out Detroit and all that. Anything, I, I don't know. I feel like it's a dumb question to even ask you. Be like, hey, is no. the Rams after the Tampa win? They're like, all right, this team is for real, and it's been a really bad month. Uh, Diana Rossini was really on this, though, where I don't think it was the usual bumps and bruises where it felt like Stafford was dealing with stuff that's a little bit more excessive. But again, a lot of guys are, so you never know how much that plays into the performance. But the performance was bad, and they beat a really bad team. So I don't know.
1: Yeah, Stephen Ruiz watched this game pretty closely yesterday, and we, we actually talked about it. And he he had said that they were doing a little more under center. Um, they were pulling their guard a little bit more. They were doing some things that were more creative, but it wasn't all that different. So Tej Seth, um, who I think does analytics at the University of Michigan, said that. So th- this is this was the the big stat that came out a week ago. It was that under McVeigh, uh, all time in Los Angeles, weeks one through eight, they're second in the NFL in offense. And weeks 9 through 17, they 19th in the NFL in offense. So there's always a regression in the second half of the season. And that could just be the lack of adjustments. We've seen Sean McVay is so good at everything, but he's not good at in-game decision-making. And he's not amazing at kind of reading a season and figuring out where it's going and making adjustments from there. Um, and you almost feel like he needs like, A guy on staff who can help out with with both of those things. That Sean McVay is not the Sean McVay of game management, and he he needs to go and find that guy. Um, so I, I, would say that there's that, but I don't, I mean, the Jaguars is such a mess dude. Like I, I don't, I mean, Trevor Lawrence has one touchdown since, since Halloween. I, I, I just, there, there's just nothing going on there. And, and I don't think I, I was actually surprised when I asked Steven this last night, like I thought that maybe playing the Jaguars, McVay could use it as a bit of a laboratory and say, Hey, let's try this. Like we're going to win anyway. And it sounded like he didn't really do that. Can you say that McVay stat again? Cause that's really impressive. Yeah. So it's from Tez Seth. And it's is in uh it's EPA per play, expected points. Uh one through eight, second in the NFL, weeks one through eight, second in the NFL, weeks nine through seventeen, ninth, ninth excuse me, nineteenth in the NFL. Yearly issue, he says. Yearly issue.
0: That's crazy. Uh yeah. yeah, that's why I wanted you to repeat it. I anything quick on Trevor Lawrence, because I feel like if he were the Jets, we'd be talking about him a lot more. Um, I can't tell because yeah. the stats aren't good. That's fine. Uh, I don't know if you're blaming his slutty quarterback outfit for Halloween and why he hasn't thrown minute more <laughs> touchdowns since doesn't sound, I'm going to say that you're not going there. Um, they got the weird Miami win a bills win where the bills were, were in their own rut. And we'll get to pick Monday night football yeah. here. Um, I physically, we get it, but when you're the best prospect, probably since Andrew luck. Yeah. It's unbelievable that we don't ever really talk about you nationally. And I'm not even sure what's fair other than if he were with the Jets and had this stat line, there'd be way more segments on is he the guy? Which is probably unfair anyway for any rookie quarterback. But it's it's kind of funny that he exists the build up
1: to what it is now, he exists almost in this this world of non interest. We've done should Zach Wilson like be be the starter next year, like five times on various podcasts that I've heard or or I've done. I mean, I think we did it last week about Russell Wilson, but it's a disaster right now in Jacksonville. And i know I, I'm gonna separate Trevor Lawrence out from here. So DJ Chark and Jamal Agnew um were are out for the season. I think the leading receiver last night was Le, uh, Laquan Treadwell. Uh, he's back. He's back, and he's leading teams in re- receptions. Um, and Urban Meyer is a bad NFL coach, and I don't know like. The thing to me, Ryan, and I, I'm I'm going to rant here because I've ranted on this a couple of times. It just upsets me how many times we talk to older quarterbacks who never really made it, and the reason being is because they were failed by a bunch of people earlier in their career. They got off track, and once you get off track as a young quarterback, you can really, really get off track. And I feel like you really have two years. For the franchise to figure their stuff out, right? And geography is destiny and all that stuff. And you look at all the advantages Mac Jones gets. And I'm not saying Urban Meyer had to be Bill Belichick, but he has to be a little better than this. The team is real bad. Um, They need to fix this right now. Um, I don't really know what that is. I would probably move on from Urban Meyer. I just thought this was going to be better. I thought it was going to be less sloppy from Urban Meyer. I thought there'd be more uh, offensive ideas from, from Urban Meyer. I just don't know what this is. I mean, we go back to the stuff where. You know, Nick Saban left the the NFL because he didn't like uh, not controlling his own destiny. He literally said that. And I think sometimes when you're a guy like like Urban Meyer, who, by the way, I mean, we I've talked to people about this. If you have no idea what the NFL is, sometimes you just it's not what you expected, and you don't want to be there. Um, Urban Meyer has never coached a day in the NFL before he became Jaguars head coach, and I kind of feel like he went into this not understanding certain elements of it. And I've been disappointed in the tenure. And I think it's probably best if he doesn't coach the team anymore and he just goes back to – I heard he loved Fox. I heard he was like the most prepared analyst of all time at Fox. Like I don't know. Do something like that, bud. Or go, go, go to college team.
0: Yeah, but that would be admitting that he's the problem. And guys don't do that with his resume, certainly not after one year. But the Lawrence numbers are bad. I mean, his QBRs the last few weeks, 29, 21, 31, 33, 38, 11. And that's all since um. Yeah, you're right. Halloween, that Seattle loss at 31-7. And that's one touchdown pass. I mean, the yardage numbers here in a league where guys throw for 340 and lose and you don't even like them after the game. You're like, ah, I don't know about this guy. Like there's there's games I'll watch and I'll be like, ah, I don't know about this guy. He's 21 of 28 for 340, two touchdowns and a pick. You know, like I, I have probably too many of those throughout the course of a season now, even though scoring has been down and some of the higher NQB stuff, uh, those numbers have have trickled down from where they were last year. But this is actually bad and also sort of invisible as a topic.
1: A hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's Jacksonville and that that's part of it, but also say, so yesterday he completed 57% of his passes. PFF did not have him for a single quote, big time throw. This means he just didn't throw a big pass all day. Uh, When he was pressured, his completion percentage was 16%. Um, this is this is a guy who needs infrastructure and he needs it quickly. And and I don't know what you do right now if if you're Jacksonville, I had him down
0: as one big throw, but that's that's my <laughs> that's the way I chart. We all do it differently. Okay. I, I want a Bills Pat's pick, but I still have to do one other thing. It's sort of in the division, but it's also uh in the NFC as well. Tua and the Dolphins have won a bunch of a row. I should say the defense and the dolphins have won a bunch in a row. Uh, There's clearly more trust, though, through this stretch with Tua, I believe, than what was a complete lack of trust with Tua at two different segments, whether it was a rookie and then coming back after some injury stuff. Um, He had 25 pass attempts in the first half of that game yesterday. Yeah. And so there are moments now where you go, "Okay, do we have something? And If you're Miami, you want to believe that you have something. I still think the Deshaun deal for them in the offseason is still a real possibility. Um, But this is kind of that that thing where will you talk yourself into something that makes you feel better about a decision you made, even if it could be the wrong decision. I think there's a little of the Jalen hurts thing going on here with Philadelphia as well, or to credit to everybody involved, they revamped that offense for a month. Some of the offensive numbers they were putting up were insane. You could argue Mm -hmm. some of the rushing attack stuff from Jalen was more impressive than what we see from Lamar, which even though from Lamar, it's always going to look better than everybody else. But the bigger thing is, are we close to having two franchises perhaps double down on something that isn't a solution?
1: Yes, for one big reason. So Josh Rosen was clearly not the solution, but then Kyler Murray was available in the draft. It was a good quarterback year. There are no franchise quarterbacks to speak of in the draft next year. Kenny Pickett is not is not one of them. Um, By the way, I'm just Howell. telling you, I'm just telling you that will change.
0: Six weeks out, two months from the draft, we're going to start hearing about how much better the tape was on three or four different guys.
2: I'm just telling you.
1: Okay, yes. I I understand that. What I also say is what drove me up a wall a couple of weeks ago is there was a a quote from an anonymous scout in Ian Rappaport's piece about draft quarterbacks saying exactly what we're saying now, which is that they're going to rise. And one of the quotes was, well, these guys will start rising once coaches get involved. Maybe we shouldn't involve the coaches then. Like, maybe we shouldn't let the coaches just start saying, oh, this guy should actually be the third overall pick. Like, maybe, I don't know. Maybe there should be a little more separation of church and state if once the coaches get involved, they just start elevating players who don't deserve to be elevated. That's just maybe, maybe, maybe I'm the crazy one, but that's just my take on this. But, okay, you want to talk yourself into two and you want to talk yourself into Jalen Hurts because you don't want to go into the quarterback lottery next year. So, I, I do want to commend, before I throw shade at two, I do want to commend. What the Dolphins have done, which is they they've rearranged their entire offense to make this work. This is RPO stuff uh, since week 11 on short passes. He's 55 of 61 for 427 yards, but he's completing these passes. He's leading. He's going to uh, he's leading the NFL in completion percentage, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he's setting all sorts of records f- for that. Um, he's got, I think, a 100 rating for the you know most times in a row since Dan Marino for the franchise going. That's all great. It's not sustainable, but it's also not to the point that you have to rearrange your franchise so that you have to get a new guy. You don't have to go out and trade Deshaun Watson and do whatever crazy stuff was happening around the trade deadline where they were trying to get that that trade across the finish line. Um, I don't think you have to sell out for that anymore. Um, I'm, I'm sure if he becomes available, it's a different conversation and everything gets legally gets, gets sorted out. But I, don't, I, I certainly wouldn't engage with trade discussions right now or anytime soon. Um, and you don't want to take a first-round pick. There's more there's more thing, holes for them to fill. And so I think that they've saved everybody's jobs. I think that they Tua is going to be the starter next year, barring Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, or, or Deshaun Watson becoming available. And I think it's fine. So I think you're talking, I think these t- these franchises will talk themselves into it because there's no other options. I, and, but I would also say that both of them could easily be replaced if Rodgers or, or Wilson say, I'm, I'm coming.
0: Yep. All right, that's fair. All right, last thing here. Uh, New England goes into Buffalo with all the momentum in the world. Uh, We know the concerns with Buffalo. Uh, Josh Allen, if you look across the board, the stats, completion percentage down a bit. Touchdown and interception ratio down significantly. Yards per attempt is down. QBR is down almost 20 points. Um, last year was an all-timer year for somebody, and he's still better this year than he was, I think, at the start of his career. So I think there's concern there. Uh, the lack of balance. The defense that feels like it's it's not always something you can rely on versus a New England team yeah. that feels like, hey, we love the defense. We love Mac Jones. I would argue New England, during this win streak, um, has hit up teams maybe at their worst point of any point Mm -hmm. of their season uh Atlanta believe it or not I I don't know how often people realize this but Atlanta having five wins this year is one of those records where you look at standings be like wait what Atlanta's five and seven how did that happen but um they were one and three in the four game stretch where you know they got killed by Dallas they played New England the Browns are a mess the Titans aren't even the Titans um the Panthers the same thing the win at the Chargers was a, was a really impressive win because I still think with the Chargers, you know, somebody you have to show up and play. So having said all those things, I think because this one's in Buffalo, I'm going to pick the Bills. But this might be my own resistance to as great as Mac is and the story for this season isn't about his ceiling. It doesn't none of that matters. But I still think from what I've seen this year, there's there's a bunch of guys that I'd rather have in a playoff game from a really deep young group in the AFC at the quarterback position and some way of Buffalo figuring out a way, at least at home, to salvage what momentum has shifted in the AFC East. I could be totally wrong. That's what I'm going with.
1: By the way, I just want to throw out a stat because you mentioned the Falcons. The Lions have a better point differential than the Falcons. So, yeah, that's
0: go. why that's why every week when you're like, wait, what? I just the yep. five and thanks for the Falcon. Um, yeah, don't. I didn't expect that. <laughs>
1: All right, so uh, I'm gonna go with the bills only because it's home and only because the Patriots are due for a game that's not perfect. I have loved what they've what the Patriots have done over the past two months. It's been unbelievable. Doug Kide had a really good piece the other day um, about how catchable Mac Jones's balls are. And basically, guys like Kendrick Bourne, like all these guys have career low drop rates because Mac Jones um, throws a really, really catchable ball. And that to me is interesting. You marry that with the offense that they've built. Um, where basically they're running more in situations where you might pass uh, more than anybody, except I think the Ravens and the 49ers, who basically their livelihood is through, through the run game in most cases. So this is a true run-first offense. And I saw the phrase a couple weeks ago, and I keep thinking about it a lot. Like They're winning with Mac Jones because they're pretending that modern football never happened. right? And I think that's a really interesting way to put it. They're putting in a position to succeed. Uh, it's a masterclass in building around your quarterback. I love it. I'm going with the Bills um, just because I I, I kind of feel like uh, both those teams are due for for a statement, and maybe the opposite direction, just because of how hot they've been the past couple of weeks in, in New England.
0: Yeah, so that probably means New England's going to win this thing. I love yep. this quote from Mike Sando's Athletic Pick Six piece that comes out every Monday morning, where he talks to just all these different executives. He was trying to size up New England, and the guy goes, "Quote: cool, We're really talking about style points. We don't like a Kansas City team that wins ugly, and we don't like New England because we aren't sure they can win a shootout. At some point, you have to ask yourself if you just don't like winning." <laughs> <laughs> i kind of that's, my, I t- that's that.
1: more or less my titan's take yeah it's like this like, team knows that right. it wins games
0: yeah um like all right so wait a minute kansas city's boring and new england isn't what the yep. ceiling but I, i'm sorry look i still think that there's some sort of weird afc shootout that you're gonna have to win with some of these really good quarterbacks and something will open up and i don't know and it's not like saying mac jones isn't capable of it but i think if you're watching mac there's this is a great story it's awesome belichick may have hit on a guy for another 10 years one year removed from forcing brady out after 20 of the greatest years we've ever seen if you're able to do that it's it's not quite manning transitioning into no. luck or maybe it's better because mac won't bail um or but, you know the, clearly new england will take care of a young mac jones better than the colts did a young andrew luck
1: i thought it was interesting andrew callahan was in my podcast last week and i asked him, how important 2020 was 2021 for them. And he said that he thinks that they learned the extent of their ability to solve problems last year, right? Like they thought they could just roll with Cam Newton, design an offense, everything would be fine. And then they were like, oh, wait, we actually can't really do this as well as we thought. And so this, I think that 2020 was actually a necessary buffer Between twenty nineteen and twenty twenty one. They learned a lot of lessons about themselves and just kind of an interesting path that they had last year where they kind of fell on their face, especially in the second half of the season. And now they've kind of recommitted themselves and understand what Mac Jones needs. So I do think that that path is a little interesting to me. All right, we take a quick break. We got to do
0: some college football with Kevin, who wrote a great piece on the coaching carousel and describing college football in general to strangers and start your engines maybe three or four times. (laughs) because uh, we got one more race to go going abroad. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. If you check out Ringer, ringer.com uh and get kevin clark's profile up you can see a piece from last week about just basically college football and why i love it because if you had to explain it to somebody that didn't understand it they'd be like you have to be kidding me and uh i think we're at a point now with the coaching carousel a point that i said this is coming because they know money is coming in with the new tv deals people mm-hmm. will likely spend money before they have it if they know it's coming I'm like ah well whatever you know i got a new deal i'm gonna raise a christmas bonus and that kind of stuff and that's exa- <laughs> that's exactly just to just to set this up because i did the numbers again if brian kelly's at t- well let me do it this way and top five coaching salaries going into this season nick saban 9.7 Cocho was at nine million. David Shaw's eight point nine. Dabo's eight point three. Lincoln Riley was at seven point six. Right now, Lane Kiffin would be sixth because because of a nice <laughs> little run at Ole Miss. That again for Ole Miss is good, and I think they signed him because they were afraid he might leave or whatever. I don't think Florida and LSU had that much interest in Lane, but he still got a huge deal out of it. Um Cristobal's new deal and this is official he's going to the U so we got to talk to Kane fan number one over here he's out (laughs) of Oregon Cristobal was making 4.5 at Oregon Oregon offered him 8.5 to stay Ball, great recruiter And then you're like, wait, I'm not even sure Miami's a better job than Oregon. I would say that it isn't um, unless all of this Miami stuff is going to change overnight. No, we'll get to this. I'm just the build up here. So that would put like Cristobal (laughs) would be the fourth highest paid coach. Lincoln Riley's number seems to settle in at 11. So that's ahead. of Everybody else. Kelly's is about 10 because there's very uh, obtainable bonuses on the retention part of that by each year. So like this is going to get so ridiculous in such a short amount of time. Um, and I know that you love it. So go in any direction off of that that you want.
1: This is the future and this is how it's going to be from now on because there's a lot of money and schools can big game hunt and there's no reason to settle anymore. It was interesting to me and I don't want to get too too far down the rabbit hole in the NFL, but I talked to some people in the NFL last week and I was like, what, how is it going to change anything? And they're like, nah, like if Matt rule says he's going to trying to go to Oklahoma, Frickin' David Tapper will say, "See ya, bud." Um, and if if Cliff King, if Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury tries to use leverage, they'll probably just laugh because I think everyone views a good NFL job as better than a good college job, right? That that's just the way it goes. Bill Belichick's not taking a call from Alabama. Andy Reid's not taking a call from Florida. Um, so I, the one thing that was floated to me was maybe. B-level coordinators who are only being offered like a, the Detroit job or something like that might say, "Hey, it, it might be a little better to go to South Carolina or something like that." Do you know? Use the portal, take a, take two good years and make a bunch of money, right? Like maybe that could be five or six years off. And then Albert Breer reported something that 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 quite frankly is is even more interesting, which is the ownership level. The NFL thinks that maybe this will carry over in the sense that. If you're in Chicago, well, why are you going to just go after Brian Dable when you could just go after Sean Payton and just see what happens? You know, and that, that to me is the most interesting piece of it was maybe just the mentality changes. So back to college. I think that this is probably the new normal, just in the sense I've done a lot of reporting over the last couple of weeks, Ryan, about what it means to be back, right? And like, there's all these hand-wavy things about, oh, it's not 1988 anymore, so see a Nebraska, Miami, and every, USC, and every situation is is just completely different. I would say the barrier for entry to compete At the top, top, top of college football is so much bigger than it was. Huge recruiting staffs, um, guys who watch tape, you know, NFL guys who who used to be in front offices now sitting around watching guys at the transfer portal. I think the biggest thing, Ryan, when you look at Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley leaving to go to better jobs is the massive gulf and the massive difference between making the playoff and winning the playoff. I think that's the biggest thing. I think the coaches think there's a huge difference between those two things. And so I think that it's a resources thing. And I think that it comes down to, to, to the biggest thing, which is coaches care about number one money and be access to great players. And if you could increase either of those things or both of those things, you will get a coach. And that's why Mario's going to Miami with the, I mean, obviously he, that's home for him or whatever. Um, but th- it's also the fact that they had the best recruiting base in the world. If you keep some of those guys home, we could talk about that in a second about how good that job is. Um, then you can win. You're going consistently. And, and, You know, I don't want to get down the Miami rabbit hole too quickly right now. But I mean, everyone says Miami can never be back or whatever. Well, there's a lot of daylight between winning five more national championships and beating North Carolina and beating Duke and and not losing recruiting dogfights to UCF. Playing Um, in the ACC
0: title game would be nice. Yeah,
1: every single year, every single year. Like if Mario keeps most of those guys home, and I can do a rant on Miami kids, but if Mario keeps half of the good players, he should they will be in the AC title game playing against Dabo every single year.
0: Yeah, I know what the the version of Miami being a better job than Oregon is. It's just that we're on coach number six now, that this would be like, oh, well, Miami's it, a better it, job. They were all I, bad. I would I would say if Cristobal isn't from Miami, right? If it's just another yeah. successful guy that was at Oregon, I would, I would be like, that guy should stay at Oregon because it's at least sure. set up with a really great AD. And one of the single most impressive, important boosters in all of college sports and Phil Knight with Nike. So uh, I know just saying, well, Eugene recruiting base versus Miami. Like, what are you nuts? And like, I like, okay, but then I would just in say the West Coast. So yeah. all of the guys are bad. Like all of the guys are yeah. bad. Golden was bad. Shannon was supposed yeah. to be the guy that figured it out. Manny was supposed to be the guy that figured it out. How about Manny? That would have been fun to recruit if this didn't happen. Hey, you were going to be fired, but now we'll keep <laughs> you.
1: Well, the recruiting class wasn't in the top 50 was worse worse than worse than Northwestern Duke and Marshall. So I'm not sure how it could have been worse. Um, Here's my take on the Miami job. So first of all, Cristobal has coached a team down in Miami called FIU. He was busy developing guys like T.Y. Hilton. And he understands just even taking the fourth wave of kids can can lead to NFL success. Right. And I look at it, I, there's a book called Good to Great that it's a little hokey and businessy, but I think it's really interesting. And they just talk about how you get to be at the top. And one of the sort of um, uh, prerequisites is figure out what you can be the best in the world at. And a lot of schools actually don't have anything that they can be the best in the world at. Uh, Miami has the ability to be the best in the world at recruiting, developing, and and moving on to the NFL. Players from the best recruiting ground in America. Um, you think about just the success that, that Nick Saban, Dabo Swinney, even like Riley, have had in Florida. I mean, Saban's come in in the last decade and gotten Calvin Ridley, Jerry Judy, Patrick Sutan, not even no competition from any of these guys. Okay, that's just from South Florida. Don't even count the other parts of, of, of Florida. And it used to be ridiculous. I mean, I'm, we talked about Ryan Chase. works for us, and and I, t- I had him on uh, a pod a couple weeks ago, and we were talking just off air. It was weird for him to go to Ohio State. Like it, that was a you know a decade ago. It was weird for him. And I think that you know Larry Bluestein, who's a recruiting columnist, uh, told me the story once. I think about it all the time where he said in 2002, um, he went to the St. Thomas Aquinas, which is where the Boses went, where Michael Irvin went, James White, all these guys. Geo Bernard. He went to their spring game, and there was it was Miami and Florida State was there. And then he went there a couple of years later, and there were 41 schools there. Okay, so Miami became over recruited. Everyone decided to go down there but you can still have a, n- a niche down there where you win consistently. Miami took seven kids from Miami Northwestern's class in 2008, I think. That was the Ja'Cory Harris class, the, the um, uh, Tommy Streeter, all those guys, Sean Spence. The one kid they did not take was Levante David, okay? So it's not a qu- and he would have come. He would have come. He went to Middle Tennessee State, then he had to go to JUCO and, and whatever. But there's so much just runoff talent that even if you're losing the top, top guys still to Dabo Saban, Ryan Day, whomever, you're still getting ACC championship level talent, and so if you win some of those dog fights, which Mario can do, Feldman was on our podcast a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking off air, and I said to him, I described my perfect candidate, and he said, you're talking about Mario. Mario's going to go in for recruiting dog fights, and if he keeps those kids home, that's incredible. I mean, the column a couple of weeks ago by Pete Thamel about California, the problem with California is C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young were just leaving the state. If Lincoln Riley keeps those guys home, they win a national championship. And and that's Mario's. What's in front of Mario now?
0: Yeah, I don't have much more to add to that. I don't. I mean, the Lincoln thing's easy because um, whether it's Stroud, you know Bryce Young, you know Tua. It's not like he's from Southern California, but a guy from Hawaii shouldn't be going to Alabama over USC. And then Ua La On top of that, it's just I don't know that that. But what,
1: why that why is part, it easier? Why is it easier at USC than Miami?
0: Um, this is about an administrative thing that we have not had, but it's essentially that's all being overhauled and then this new medical booster who's been all in. I've been reading all the same shit you've been reading. So if this is truly day one for a new regime, then Miami is a much better job. But that's it. That's a huge assumption to just be like, hey, now they got crystal ball, I new agree. AD, and now this booster, and now there's going to be a new stadium downtown, and done, and done, and done. So, hey, start start printing up the banners. Start printing up the blank ones so we could just stitch in the year a little bit later. That's. But I feel like USC, even with its disappointment, has been a better program um, than what Miami has been. But I, maybe this changes overnight the I, way everybody's I, telling me it is.
1: I don't agree with that. This is the team. This is the uh, USC, I think. I'm not saying Miami is some great college football administrative juggernaut here. What I am saying is I think USC was in, in in similar levels of contentment with mediocrity. Both of them had sanctions against them, by the way. Um, both of them gave too many years to guys they shouldn't have. Both of them, kind of counter to what they did in the last cycle, went to coaches that simply uh, weren't to the caliber uh, of, of to bring them back. And I mean, college football changed. College football changed overnight, and both programs, I think, didn't change with it. And so... That to me is the biggest difference. I think both of these programs, USC and Miami, understand now that coaches are basically the the president of of marketing, right? Like that, they're they're basically the the front facing uh, piece of the university, and both of them understand it. And now they'll spend and and I don't listen. I'm not saying both these schools are going to become Alabama overnight, but what I am saying is that I think within five years, both of them are in a legitimate national championship conversation. Um, I get your point on some of the
0: stuff administratively. That's just as Frustrating, right? USC and Miami have some real similarities there. I also think post-SC dealing with all the sanctions that they decided that they weren't going to dip into the waters. Uh, some of the Southern schools were, um, and maybe even Oregon to that extent. I mean, that's pretty much understood. And if you read that Feldman piece, that goes really deep into California recruiting with the different high schools. It was like USC just got scared off on what levels you had to go to, considering everything they'd gone through as a program. The difference, I think, for SC is that Lincoln steps in puts the fence up around some of these quarterbacks, and then there you go. But where Miami has the advantage, where I'd say this is maybe the one that, even though I, I just feel like I see as a quicker fix, the body type part of this for Pac-12 players, Miami's not going to have any problem with that if they're keeping all those kids there, if they are. I, because that's, yes! So that, I mean, that, that's, that's where you that, probably win the argument. I just feel like Lincoln, oh, okay, cool. The rest of the stuff's taken care of. Coliseum will be on fire. But the body type part of it, when you watch a lot of Pac-12 and you go, where's the depth of all these bigger guys? They just don't have them out here, man. It, I don't know what's it,
1: the the inferiority complex that has developed in both of those places over the past decade is is incredible. I was listening to something a couple of weeks ago about recruiting, and they're talking about James Williams, who's a six five five star safety who plays for Miami. And somebody's saying, "Wow, can you believe he stayed at Miami? He went to he didn't go to Alabama, he didn't go to Florida." And it's like that 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 would be unthinkable a decade ago that, that a kid from Miami would would look to Alabama first. And luckily, he 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 committed to Miami. But like, there's become this weird flip where. Miami feels inferior to Saban in their own backyard, and and if Mario changes that, he's worth every penny. Well, he's
0: the right guy to do that part of it. Uh, no yeah. question, no question. Okay, uh, well, this is—I'm too excited. This this previous football, <laughs> all this football stuff—none of it matters. Uh, let's do it, man. It's been too long. Let's go abroad. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate? Hate is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season? Throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food Buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app.
1: Continued economic
0: responsibility demands restraint in government expenditure.
1: And last year we achieved the largest ever recorded reduction in the budget deficit, 1.5 billion.
0: Okay, the results are in um, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Going into this, Max had an eight-point lead ahead of Lewis Hamilton. Uh, if you look at the last few results, you go back to the United States Grand Prix. That was in October. It was Max with Hamilton. Perez, a great, great day for Red Bull. Um, Max takes Mexico. Hamilton, Perez again. And then things started to change. Brazil, Qatar. Um, This is now, by the way... We've had 13 times in this season. The top two finishes have been either Hamilton or Verstappen, one or two. And Hamilton pulls this one off uh, with pull. Max was in third, and we had all sorts of commotion in this one. I mean, the timeline of this is nuts. At lap 10, Hamilton switches tires because we've got a, a caution And then they red flag it at lap 13, which means everybody's going to start all over again. We had multiple restarts in this. It felt like Max and and Hamilton were going to crash into each other the entire time. Um, We'll get to all that stuff. I just wanted to share that timeline. Hamilton pulls this one out. Uh, Verstappen ends up coming in second, Botas at the very end, getting a podium in third place. I've been talking like at the very last stretch of this race. So now we are all even with one race to go in Saudi Arabia, 369.5 points for both Hamilton and Verstappen as Max chases his first ever world championship. And Lewis goes for number eight.
1: Wow. Um, So after Brazil, Toto Wolff said that the diplomacy has ended. Like there was kind of a cold war between Red Bull and Mercedes and it became kind of a hot war after that. Um, And basically it was that he thought Red Bull was working the refs. And there's a lot of kind of NBA finals type of situation here where there's a lot of, hey, watch this. They're, you know, they're really going too hard in the paint kind of stuff. And it's amazing to me that you see now so clearly, you know, I was reading the BBC write-up of this over the weekend, and listen, Ver- Verstappen knows he can afford a collision with Hamilton, and Hamilton cannot, and they're racing like it. Verstappen knows if the two of them crash, Verstappen wins, and um, the reason being is that Verstappen has more wins than, than Hamilton, and so if the season ended and both of them were level on points, Verstappen would win uh, it's nine wins to eight wins and so Verstappen has clearly he's driving like a lunatic and he 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 does not give an inch out there um, we've seen that he was given a five second time penalty a 10 second time penalty uh, he had to give up give back his place um, he the, neither of these guys uh, want to give up even an inch on the other, and they're racing like it. And Verstappen has the upper hand because he knows he can he can afford a huge wreck. Uh, but it is one of the most fascinating and dramatic things I've ever seen in sports. Yeah, and just so you can understand, like, Lewis has
0: pole here because Max probably would have had pole, but he had a mishap during qualifying. Um, and, you know, at lap 10, we have Schumacher crash into mm-hmm. a barrier. And they're working their way around it. And basically, the race officials, after three laps of being in caution, are like, look, the safety car's out. Um, this isn't going to work. We got to red flag this. So, for people to understand, it, like that means then, um, as Verstappen during that stretch, uh, during caution, Hamilton and Botas both pitted. All right. They go to the hard tires. They felt like if it's a 50 lap race, 40, Pirelli tells him, you can make it 40 laps on the hards. And I feel like Max is as simple as, I just want to stay out because now I'll be in the league. All right. I, I honestly think that's the way he's wired. And he stays out. And then he doesn't have any ground on Hamilton at all. I mean, he's he's only moved up one position, but now he still has to pit at some point with his tire situation. And Hamilton's thinking he can go to the exact end. And then, like every single race car driver that we have access to, which is mostly Max and Lewis the whole time, they bridge about literally everything. I mean, you want to talk about NBA players complaining? These guys have been in this for their full professional careers, and it's like they don't even understand some of the shit that happens. Mm-hmm. So when the red flag happens, that means you can – you don't just pit. Everybody just stops again, goes back to their grid, and then you can work on the car for as long as you want to once they're ready to restart the race, and they have people taking the debris off and, and reestablishing the cushions at this turn because they felt like it wasn't going to be safe if there was another crash there. So off the restart, um, which I thought was hilarious at one point, too, when they were full-on pitted, there was somebody from Red Bull who put an ice water bag on the back of Max's mm-hmm. neck for about four seconds. <laughs> It's important. It's important to stop. <laughs> like four seconds of just cold condensation on the back of your neck is, is the difference when it comes to F1. Um, and so then, then Lewis is freaking out because he's going, well, this is bullshit. Red flag, man. Yeah. This is bullshit, man. This is bullshit. Red flag. And they're like, dude, how do you not understand the red flag part of this? And then there's the announcers to their credit pointed out. Like, hey, this isn't new. Like, this is what happens. And when you red flag it, everybody can do it. And then it happened again. I mean, at one point, Max had taken Lewis off the restart. It was incredible. It looked like Lewis had him at that first turn again. Max just goes off the course and like, is like, no, I'm not giving this back to you. They tell him, oh, by the way, you have to give him back this position. And Max plays it perfectly going into a DRS zone where he knows, like, if I give this back up, I'm going to get it right back. And then they show Toto Wolf from Mercedes being like this fucking guy. And then the one that really, I think, even pissed off. Um, I'm sorry. Who's the analyst with Crofty on this one? He's world champ. I forget his name. Uh, Martin Brundle. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Well, right. I think so. And so at this point, Max is told, hey, you got to give the position back to Hamilton. And it depends on who you believe in this one. Max stops, but doesn't give him the full width of the track. He kind of stops in the middle. Hamilton's behind him, crashes into him. It's unbelievable that cr- uh, the the front wing for Hamilton wasn't damaged enough. He actually didn't put up a fastest laugh because Hamilton's insane. But then Hamilton's like he quick break me or brake tested me, which means you just slammed on the brake to hope the other guy would crash him from behind you. Uh, Max obviously saying that's not the case. We gave him room if he didn't fucking stop and we, we can't we can't control what he's doing behind us. Um, and then at that point he'd gotten a penalty, so it wasn't really going to matter. So we didn't have actually the very great drama at the very end, but, um, it's just important to describe this that everyone wasn't, anybody wasn't listening because I think Max is capable of doing literally anything. And that's probably why he's become easily my favorite, favorite driver on the, on, on the circuit. He just is. I feel like that's kind of a lame move for me. I've been flirting with maybe the McLaren thing, you know, Haas tough weekend for Haas again. Sorry um but max that he will basically do whatever and maybe that's shitty of me to like that because even brundle on the broadcast was like i mean there was a great line in there where he's basically like, this was too much um max yeah. this was too much from somebody today where we love how competitive he is but this was just too much for a race
1: yeah um i i i thought i thought it was i thought it was too much <laughs> Wait, frankly did- i thought it was too much I, it, it, it was interesting I, and i think the, it shows you the pressure i think brazil was an interesting inflection point because there was a, some kind of first takey opinions that that was the biggest pressure that Lewis Hamilton had ever been under, where he basically had to run the table. And if he had lost Brazil, that he wouldn't have controlled his own destiny anymore. Verstappen could have been 2 uh, two, two, two the rest of the way and still won the championship. Right. And then Hamilton gets those penalties. He essentially goes to the back of the grid for the sprint. And There were people there who were like, oh, my God, I can't believe the title chase is ending like this. I can't believe it's over like this. And then Hamilton had the drive of his life. Damon Hill said it was one of the best races he'd ever seen out of Hamilton or anybody. And the title title race was back on. And I think that changed the pressure from Hamilton to Verstappen so much. And that it went from Hamilton has to be perfect the rest of the way to Verstappen has to stop the bleeding a little bit. And once that happened, I don't know if Verstappen... I think Verstappen is feeling feeling the heat quite a bit. This is the first time he's ever been in anything like this ever. He's obviously never won a drivers' championship before, um, because because Mercedes has has not even allowed him in the same zip code. And I think that it, it is it is it is too much right now for Verstappen. I, I do, I'm not. There are a lot of smart people who think he's just going to stop the bleeding uh, at Yas Marina and win on Sunday. I th- I would not be surprised by that at all. But what I am saying is that we're sta- seeing Verstappen loses cool a little bit. I guess That's the whole the, the, the Bill Walsh clutch thing. I keep coming back to it. There's no such thing as clutch. There's only executing when everybody else is freaking out. That's Lewis Hamilton right now.
0: Yeah, what Lewis is doing these last few races uh, if you're new to this. Although I would argue if I had never watched any F1, if I didn't know anything about it and this was my first experience, I may have hated it. I'd be like, what the hell is this? They just keep stopping all the time and then <laughs> Like the least climactic part of the entire race was the part that you wanted it to be at the end. But once, and that's true, right? Once Max got the five seconds, but they didn't have it up on the graphics that it, he kind of knew it was over. And at that point, it was just holding on to second to stay even for the point race, correct? Yes, yes, right. exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um. And then another just little note on the complaining part is that Lewis is sitting there freaking out. I think it's just a window into the tenseness, even though these guys seem so secure. In these moments, like imagine racing like this for 10, 15 laps and almost crashing twice. And this is a very dangerous course. There's so many blind corners. There's nowhere yeah. else to go in a lot of worried. different spots. It's a, like when you're in the the cockpit of the car angle of it. And granted, they have it all memorized in the muscle memory of all the different turns and all that shit. It's still like if anything happens in front of you, it's pretty scary. Um, oh, and by the way, when there's debris out there and they haven't red flagged the race and guys are running out that look like. I don't know Kevin James and the mall <laughs> cop movie. Like, hey, can you grab that that piece of fiberglass <laughs> over there? And the guy runs out of this like little cage and almost falls down as he's running back around. And I'm thinking, like, I'm sure they have it mapped out pretty well that he's not in yeah. danger, but it doesn't feel real safe. But even it, Lewis on the heart, go ahead, go ahead, Kevin. I'm just rambling.
1: No, I was gonna say it's crazy to see up up close, and you'll see it when you go to a race next year, probably. And I, I've actually only the only time I've ever been around. Proper Formula One cars was when they did a thing in in Los Angeles um, where they basically did an exhibition on Hollywood Boulevard right by the office um, of the ringer. And what was amazing there is there were a bunch of ex-drivers there like Dave Colter and those guys. And they were in the street and their comfort level with F1 cars going past them at like 70 miles per hour Is astounding. They'll be like a foot away from from like Botas just going like 70 or 80 miles per hour to speed on their phone, like, yeah, whatever. It's good. They got this. Like the the comfort with impending doom at all times is really something to behold. And that's that's everybody around a Formula One track.
0: Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe that's it. I I just I was watching this guy run out and grab some I'm like, Jesus, that doesn't, it was around a corner too. But again, I don't think they were like, hey, Dave, go. I think you're
1: good. Yeah. There's been some deaths over the course of F1 history involving people running out of the track like that. So Even Lewis,
0: though, when when he looks like he's going to win this thing and then he's like, hey, why, why are we not on mediums? And they're just like, hey, yeah. you're good for 40 laps, Lewis. You're good. And by the way, when you're running so many caution laps um, with the virtual car, those are not the same laps. That's not the same level of stress you're putting the tires under. So whatever your normal projections would be, 40 laps with hard. Um, considering all the ones under caution, like you're clear, you're clear by the end of it. And I don't think it was ever an issue, especially with how fast the pace that Lewis had towards the end of it. So look, if, if you're new to it, this was one of the absolute like confusing ones, but it was so much fun if you have a little experience with it and it all leads up to one final race here for everything. And and honestly, I'm with you. If Lewis pulls this out after the control, that it seemed like Max had and that Max is basically capable of anything. And that's kind of what I like about him. But I don't know if I'm I'm a bad guy for like liking it and enjoying it, well, which it sounds
1: I, like I'm- I am. I would also say the pressure is also on Verstappen because as we've talked about many times in going abroad, everything changes next year, like the regulations and all that stuff. So it's not like, oh, we'll get them next year. Like There's no telling who's going to be, I mean, we have a good idea, but there's no telling that whether or not these guys are going to have similar cars, whether they're going to have similar dominance. And so this is Red Bull's best chance to end the Mercedes stronghold. Um, It's right in front of them and they have to take it. And they know that. Mercedes knows that they know that. They know that Mercedes knows that they know that. Like it is it is psychological warfare um to 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 a incredible degree.
0: Yeah. And the constructor series is basically done now. Yeah. Um, it would have to be disastrous. Uh, they're down almost 30 points. Botas, point.
1: Botas is in his bag.
0: Yeah, he's going out big, man. He actually seemed happy. He's and so Lewis, happy. Ap- Lewis after I mean Botas always looks miserable all the time. I think he was so happy to get that podium. Um, yesterday. He was like in a good mood for the first time in a while. And Lewis didn't even look like he wanted to talk to anybody.
1: Um, well, the Verstappen, Verstappen was so mad. That it clearly like Botas was kind of giving a side eye. like, is everything going to be okay over there? Like, I don't think Lewis wanted to make Max angry. I think Max is the kind of guy who might punch somebody. I don't know who he's going to punch. I think he might punch somebody.
0: Yeah, I see Max as somebody that's difficult in every single transaction in his daily life. Like nothing Nothing. He'd be a tough roommate. He'd be a t- I, I regret bringing him into my summer house. <laughs> you know, dude. I ran he,
1: circles around you in that. Then that summer house draft. I got, you you, got your like, doors Haas. blown off, brother.
0: I was the Haas of summer house F one drafting. But so when you know, look, twenty twenty two. Who knows? It could be Haas' year. So get get your shirts now because those quarter zips are going to sell out once they start podium. All right, uh, any Concacaf shit we got to touch on? I think we're good, right? English Premier League,
3: no, nothing. Tottenham, Ta- uh, Ta- Ta- Everton, is back. Everton's a disaster. Jose Mourinho, things are going south, but everything else is good.
0: All right, good pod. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows. On over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus, and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com.
1: You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house. In the south fork i have every toy you can possibly imagine and best of all kids i am liquid so now you know what's possible let me tell you what's required
0: let's finish with life advice here life advice rr at gmail.com um, we've, we get a lot of these and i'm just telling you it's not going to happen um people want us to post the pod earlier it's just not going to um we're all on the west coast and and we actually get up really really early to even get it done and out at this time so um I don't know what to tell you. Look, I moved out here um to get things done and then I I don't see myself moving back to the East Coast anytime soon. Uh so there you go. Not sure what, what I can do for you. I mean, we could do some other pods that are non-time sensitive that we've done, but it's just hard for us with three days a week to do stuff that isn't time sensitive. It's just not. Okay, we get another chicken thigh guy checking in, a little behind, so heard the scorching hot take of chicken thighs being trash. Your points are valid. Thigh meat can be a bit be a kind of chewy, slimy, gristly. Well, then what the fuck is the rest of the discussion? You just admitted that.
2: <laughs> Your points are valid. You think they're valid? I didn't pretend. I ja- Go ahead, Kyle. I was just going to say I had some Japanese crispy uh, chicken that was most certainly thigh meat. And um, not, no complaints. <laughs> I
3: think I'm mostly talking grilled. Like when you fry anything, if you fry chicken, it's gonna, you're going to taste the crunchy batter. It doesn't really matter. Like a grilled chicken breast versus a grilled chicken thigh give me the breast every single time that's what he said what's up i know
0: gonna take that out of context yeah the key is to cook it at a hotter temperature than breast whereas breasts go dry the second they touch 165 thighs need to be cooked like 180 in order to render out some of that fat and soften the connective tissue novice cooks and shitty restaurants won't really know this but if done right thighs can be extremely tender and juicy perfect for marinades and the grill and rightfully um so becoming more popular i, I also think there's just a I was at a restaurant and I asked the guy, "What's going on with supply lines?" I'm just always fascinated by this.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, I want most, to know about it's the hiring. Most thing ever.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm like, "What's up with supply lines?" He goes, there's just beef. Huge problem because they don't have enough people to process it. Because you got you got cattle out there just dying because they can't get processed fast enough. Like, well, they're going to die anyway, right? So, um, not insensitive to cattle. I'm just you know." He was like really sad about it. It was like, well, they yeah. were obviously were, they died one way waiting to die another way, um, if you want to look at it that way. But uh, I saw I saw some video that came out from somebody who I knew as soon as it was out. I was like, you know, you're not going to be down with this content. But it was basically this speech by this person saying that there's no s- actual worker shortage. And it's just that young people have decided to know their worth. And this is not even old or young guy. Thing. It's an accurate versus inaccurate thing. Yes, are there younger people now that demand more at, at work situate? Yeah, I think it's great. Certain fields that will work out for you. Other fields are going to tell you to fuck off really quickly. But the idea that this is an imagined thing that there isn't some worker shortage in all of these different industries that's why when i meet somebody from a different industry i just ask them like what's going on with your thing and i'm telling you almost every industry i've asked somebody about like how are you doing on staffing and all this shit," and they just go it's never been worse and it isn't some uprising by a generation it isn't some imagined thing so again part of the chick like when i hear we could be out of chicken fingers. If I'm at a restaurant and I know the chef or I know somebody, I just would ask to be like, what's going on? And they just all freak out. Um, and the shipping. Spin off podcast? Spin off podcast, supply lines, yeah. and staffing. Ryan asks questions. Maybe we have that one tape at Wednesday night. <laughs> so it is out early on a Thursday.
2: Yeah. You, you and Derek Thompson, we do it Wednesday nights <laughs> and uh, put it up first things first.
3: No,
0: questions I'm from not, the common man. <laughs> I like asking questions about it and I like. Maybe you know, putting together some sort of educated opinion on these different things, but I'm not educated enough to be doing anything where it's like, "Hey, Roueau's doing something. his new economic podcast is out now, yeah it's all like
3: right. all the questions that get asked in your friends group chat, but nobody actually knows the answer but they feel like they know the answer to because there's a lot of discussion about it. Those are the things we talk about in this podcast.
0: No, like we have another actor that's going to come on and he's not like the f- most famous actor ever, but I'm going to do this. And I want to ask him some like really stupid questions about it that I don't think we, any of us ever know the answers to. It's like, okay, when you're on set, like what is it really like? Like how long do you sit around? How much does it suck? Do you memorize every single line or do you memorize up into the scene? Are there guys that never memorize everything? Other guys, when you think about Broadway, those guys are memorizing every single page and everybody else's line to be the cue to their own line. So I want to ask a lot of those really stupid questions that I don't think most of us have the answers to on the outside of it. And I'm with you. I, I, would, I would gladly ask uh, economic people the dumbest questions ever. Like, I would love to have a presidential, like somebody who was president. I would have anybody on. Well, I don't know. Maybe not, because then I would get in trouble if people like, oh, we knew it. Um,
3: oh, no, we can get Yang on. He's doing a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, He's Yang does on. a lot of stuff, but he hasn't, he hasn't been president. Like, I would love to just ask Obama, because you get maybe a more decent answer. And just being like, what happens when you? It's actually you have the job, and you're like, this is, this is way harder than I thought it would be. Like, there has to be that moment where even even the most successful politician has some inner reflection where you're just like, this sucks.
2: Yeah, do you it's, watch the news? I'd love to you? hear W's answer on that. I think it'd be funny. You big W guy. I just I'm a big fan <laughs> of what his answer would be. I think, and how he'd say it. I would love to hear his answer to the wow. So when you realize this shit was really hard, I'd love to hear that. I
0: just every time I read about any of these books, like any even if you hate the politician, you would end up and I don't like almost any of them. I just don't understand getting really excited about any of them. Um, It's a good call. Even if I have no sympathy towards one, I'll look at a situation they're in and be like, You are so, you're so fucked. You're fucked on every angle here. There's no out. There's no out where you win. And just like any of our favorite teams that don't win on Sundays or the NBA GM that we feel like is an idiot, when it's like, Yeah, he got really, really unlucky. The same thing happens with a lot of the people that are in charge of major, major decisions, where no matter what decision you make, it's like, Well, yeah, you could have done it this way, though. And it's like fucking a thousand experts doing major, you know like in any any publication or all the different tv people on all of these different channels saying as soon as you made the decision here are the 10 other ways that you could have done it because that's how we are that's how we are not saying the guys don't make mistakes all the time but that's how we are we love telling people how they could have done things differently all right i don't even know we got from chicken thighs to that <laughs> yeah, that's the open yeah that's the open right yeah. there i'm putting it at the front all right let's just go back to our let's go back to our <laughs> Bread and honey on this one. The guy got in a little fight. All right, good stuff. Five ten, but a Jack two oh five plays a part in this story. I'm a member of a country club in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm on the nice. younger side of the membership, thirty three years old. Yeah, you are. That's another question. Ask golf clubs how they're doing with the younger membership numbers, and that is on a steady, steady decline because a lot of younger people were like, "Wait, I'm getting fucked on college loans. I'm getting screwed on home ownership, and I'm supposed to write you a check for a fifty thousand dollars escrow account to become a member at a golf course." so anyway um that i think that that's something that's well we won't do a podcast on that i don't what the hell am i on today i'm going in a million different directions all right focus focus i live on the course and everyone knows me in which house i'm at because i'm often outside working out in the driveway <laughs> and have an attractive <laughs> wife um it's known as the milf house or the house of the 30 year old kids tree or the 30 foot kid's tree fort looking over the tee box. Well, I was at a bar Saturday night watching the championship games. Once the Bama game was over, most of the bar left, except for a friend of mine and another member in his fifties. He starts arguing with us over football and claiming the sec and Bama are overrated. Clearly a sour Clemson fan. He continued arguing and now is, uh, and standing right behind me and my friend yelling. I turned and asked him to please walk away. He continues several minutes later. I stand up and turn around and ask him to please walk away. He then starts yelling, bows his chest up, calls me a fucking loser, and touches me. I quickly body slammed him and followed with a hammer fist across the chin while he was on the ground. Oh, all right, Chael Sonnen, Zero to 60. Here. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Hammer fist on the ground. Let's try to get that. This Herb <laughs> Dean running in this one. All right. I then stopped and asked him to leave. I want to know how I could have better defused the situation.
3: Don't do anything you did.
0: How could I have better handled this? Frustrated in South Carolina.
3: All right. I thought he was going to say like the guy started like talking about, you know, how hot or not his wife was. He brought his wife into it because what is what did the hot wife have to do with anything? You just wanted to mention he had a hot
2: wife. Was that just a part of his staff? <laughs> Let's just
0: read the rest of it. Um, The club <laughs> owner had no issue with me because the guy's an ass and drinks and talks trash. Uh, And their response was anyone willing to talk shit to me is an idiot deserves it. I need to know a better way to avoid these situations. Normally, my size and military background uh, normally is enough, but I do find that people seem to like to start shit with myself and my bigger friends. We were out because we don't realize that they're going to say something to the wrong person. Unfortunately, he found the wrong guy. Honestly, dude, it felt like you wanted to write us in and tell us your wife is hot and that you're tough.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: The wife never comes back into the picture. Nope. I thought that was 100% where this was going. And then nope. the guy would say something about his hot wife and their sick tree fort. And then not it, it on. No.
3: <laughs> Turns I out you're just you kind of a hothead. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's I think, think you like
0: fighting people is what this, <laughs> yeah, I think what, so too. what this is. So you could, I don't know, not go out, but that's not happening. I think you're just going to have to get to a point where it's out of you and it doesn't seem like it's going to be out of you anytime soon. And I don't know if that's the military background or if you're sick at fighting, you're kind of like, man, eh, I want to show what I can do here a little bit. I mean, you went body slam hammer fist in a country club. That doesn't happen in a lot. The clubhouse. Yeah, that's wild. Can that guy press charges? Too? I feel like that's right. He could. He just, I don't know. You have I, like pretty I mean, quickly? If all the witnesses say, hey, you're a shithead. And if yeah, the other nope. guy was drinking and he, he's notorious, and then it's like, hey, everybody's going to call you out for being drunk at the place all the time. If you sue this guy, then that's probably something he's not going to want to deal with. So um, maybe you just should be happy that you know you you got to knock this dude. Out. I'm not even anti the guy emailing in, by the way, at all. I mean, if the guy was talking shit and everything, but I don't know. I, I don't like when you say guys are looking to mess with you. I would argue that most people are not looking to mess with anybody, really. I think you. If you're getting into shit all the time, it's probably a vibe that you're putting out there a little bit more than just everybody's picking on you. I'm serious. But uh, there are
3: also guys, though, who, like this 50 year old guy, who probably never think anybody's actually going to do anything. So they feel more dog. comfortable talking shit. And this guy was like, he just, he just crossed the wrong guy on the wrong
2: day. That was really it. Like a young Saruti. Basically. Just yeah. I mean, I, I took it to a point where I, I never really
3: got hit, but I know. Uh, my general premise was no one actually wants to fight. Um, and right. I, including me, I didn't, I didn't want to fight, but I had, you know, a couple right. of Bud lights in me and I was feeling good, but that, I, <laughs> th- I just sounds like this guy didn't think he was going to actually punch him in, in the face and he got what was coming to him.
0: Here's, here's a positive out of this. No, one's ever going to mess with you at that country club again, because you, there's people going to be <laughs> telling the story for a long time, because I'm going to guess this is a decent club and this doesn't happen very often there, if ever. And now everybody's going to be like saying this, that's the 205 jack guy who's pretty tough, hammer fist dudes and his wife's hot. and. Remember that tree for off that tee box? That's his too. Yeah. So, <laughs> Good I, memory, dude. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. there's a, I'm not. Again, I'm not anti the emailer for what he did, but I, I think that's I think you could probably dissect your own reasons for, you know, even if the guy deserved it and all that shit. But I don't I don't really think people do go out looking for trouble unless it's Boston in almost every other bar. OK,
2: uh, let's see here. The only thing that I would say that if he I mean, what he said was, the, could I handle it differently? It's like, a, maybe you could have started with a shove, but B, if you were going to do the suplex hammer fist, whatever he said he did, um, maybe you could have tray Younged it and be like, whoa, dude, and then do it like make it look like you got made contact with first <laughs> and then somehow you got into the body slam just just for um legal reasons, maybe. Uh, if you're going to be doing that in the future, maybe look like you were not the aggressor for somehow. If you can make that happen, that'd be good probably for you and the legal standings.
0: <laughs> I love you said Trey Young it. Okay. Uh, final one here. Not going to do the numbers thing. Just going to cut to the chase of something I can't imagine is only a me situation over the last handful of years. My game has been on point. Oh, we got some winners <laughs> to, today. Just badasses and hot dudes left and right in the show. <laughs> i played way out of my league over that course of time various pieces of jewelry have been left jewelry have been left at my place not always being able to return them and not knowing what else to do with them i've tossed them in a box in a drawer i just started a dating nice. a new lost woman and found. yeah <laughs> you go to hot kyle's lost and found
2: <laughs> yeah uh
0: or they said he's been playing over his league so it's really smooth and closing Mariana rivera Kyle I just I threw Kyle in there that's not the guy's name we don't I think we even have a name Well, I guess we do but I'm not gonna share it okay all right all right um so I just started dating somebody new things are going well it occurred to me that six weeks of dating is probably just long enough to get a Christmas gift am I a complete scumbag to just rebox a set of these earrings I think she'd like cleaning them (laughs) of course okay at least we got that part if not what do I do with this stuff huh yes first of all six weeks yes because you know what not getting a gift, and then saying, oh, it's only been six weeks. Nobody wants to do that conversation. Even if I would say, hey, if you're really young and it's six weeks in, you can do something. You can do something because the no present, hey, it's only been six weeks, you might as well fucking dump yourself. All right. And on top of that, you need to be prepared because she's probably going to do it unless she's like totally ruthless. Um, I just don't think we run into that many people that are that are wired that way. Now, giving away other women's jewelry. If this jewelry is that nice, none of these women ask, it, ask for it back. Like, I can't imagine this stuff is that sick. If a girl left diamond earrings at your place that were actually really valuable, they would have followed up with you. Um, so if you don't know anything about jewelry, you also could be jamming yourself up here. Uh, look, I'm, I would lean towards not doing this because if she ever found out and it got really serious, it's just going to be something she's going to use against you. You know, that's what we do. We all kind of keep track of all these things we can use against each other. This would be one of those things. Uh, I would bring all the jewelry to a store, get it appraised, get a second opinion, and then probably sell it and see if you can find a watch for yourself. But I guess the total value of this might not be as high as you think, unless I don't know. Girls just never feel like they want to. Do. Or do you turn into the worst guy ever? And they're like, I don't care. It's a two thousand dollar chain. I'm just not going to go back and see that guy again. It's worth it to me. <laughs> to the yeah. game. <laughs> <laughs> the game is the game, Kyle. <laughs> uh, I, Kyle, I imagine you already
2: have this stuff. <laughs> it's, it's at a smelting facility. <laughs> uh, you know, it definitely would have crossed my mind somehow. Um, but you know, this, this is coming from a guy who sold a broken Xbox for a quarter round. So it's like I get it. If you want to, <laughs> if you want to repurpose your your stuff. Um, as a guy who, when I was 19 living in an apartment, um, I had a lost and found and they just can never find the lost and found. You have to get rid of it. I mean, I don't know why they would find the lost and found, but that's a great way to assure that it only takes six weeks. And then what, if you actually did want to give her the thing, you're going to get your own box, maybe like, I don't know don't you think it should be a little more official looking like you bought it i just think there's a couple ways for it to poke holes in it but honestly if there's one thing that's probably really nice out of i'm sure not all of your things are home run winners in that box but um, if there's something that's really nice and you can actually get it looked at I say, fuck it, six weeks, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? I just would say you have to make sure that box stays hidden forever and then probably even get rid of it once you realize the rest of the shit is worthless.
0: Well, the box part of this is a huge problem. You're right. I mean, you could go to a jeweler and ask for like something that's cheap and then put it, but these are a lot of different steps. Why can't you just bring the stuff back, sell it, and then buy a decent present? And then because mm-hmm. it's only been six
2: weeks, keep the rest for yourself anyway. Uh, and then your evidence is out of the house. If she ever finds your lost found box, you're in so much <laughs> trouble, dude. It's just over.
0: I, like, would you, Sarudi, if you were dating somebody and she gave you a decent used watch, like a That's tag, what I was just going to say. Like, hey, I got this for you. You First of all, you would know it was used in a watch. Maybe in earrings, it's not going to show up as much. I, I, I don't know. I think I'd be like, where... I mean, I probably in the moment couldn't say, hey, where did you get this? But then if I found out like a dude left it there and I'm wearing some other fucking guy's watch that left after a random (laughs) hookup and maybe was so hammered he forgot he even left his watch there. Like, hey, you guys see my new tag? I don't know. I'm out.
3: Yeah, there would be like scratches on it. I mean, unless you like got a polish, you would know it was used for the most part, especially if it's leather, it's going to be worn. I mean, I'd probably have the same reaction Kendall did when he got that uh, the watch at his birthday party. I would just be like, you got me a watch? Like, I have a watch. What is this? Um, So Kendall's
0: reaction is terrible, by the way. And guys like Kendall would have more than one fancy watch. So that part of the succession storyline, I didn't quite understand because he, but it also maybe is the point that he's such a dick at times that that was the part they were emphasizing more so than a realistic
3: watch timeline. Yeah, but I would be bummed out about that. I think Kyle's right; you have to hide it. She can never find out about it. But I have a question: of, like, who bought a broken Xbox from you? Like, what what
2: did they do with you? They oh, it? They part? Oh, you out? weren't
0: around for this. This is no Bruce, Steve.
2: Huh? It's one of the all time. Yeah, no guy guy lived up uh, lived one or two floors up on the dorm. I bought an Xbox on eBay, and um, it just didn't work out. I had the red rings, and I couldn't get it back or whatever. And uh, and he still wanted my it. roommate. My roommate, really smart guy, was fiddling around with it, and he got it to work for a little bit, um, and like there was like pieces missing from it after he had done whatever, but we got it to work, and you could get to the main menu, but once you started scrolling, it would get back to the red ring, so we basically just planned it out to have him come look at it while we had it working, and then I gave it to him, but I told him I didn't have the power cord, blah, blah, blah. Months later, he came back from break and was like, hey, man, that didn't work. I was like, right, you must have bumped it on the way home or something. Yeah, so, yeah not my uh, problem now, dude. Well, thank you for your exactly. business, man. You
0: must have yep. bumped it
2: on the way home. <laughs> I had that text in my old phone somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> it was a couple of phones ago, but. Um, you keep in touch with that guy. I, I was proud of that. No, no. I was proud of that, though, when I was like, yeah, you must have bumped it on the way home. You saw it work, right? Um, whatever. He knew you were lying, right? He had to. But I mean, it's like you're selling weed. I'm selling Xboxes. Who's really what's the recourse here, if anything. So yeah. what are we going to do? Your word was not important to you at that stage of your life, Correct. Maybe, maybe that's fair.
0: Maybe that's fair. You know, the one thing about Kyle is his word. (laughs) No, nobody ever said that. His word above No one ever said that. Like, you have my word as a Crichton. He has a code. (laughs) No one ever said that back then. (laughs) All right, that'll do it for life advice. Great to hear from so many successful guys this week. Uh, We'll check back in with you on Wednesday. We got Kirk Herbstreet talking some college ball, he's got a book out. Uh, we also got Vilma later this week and I don't know, maybe we can even run the Philbrick. We ran Philbrick. Uh, we taped that a while ago, so I think we should run that soon. Yeah. All right. Be good, everybody. Oh, I'm going to be on bill Simmons pod. Uh, I think it'll be out tomorrow. We're going to just do a big NBA thing because we usually wait until after the NFL season, but we're constantly texting back and forth on all these different storylines that we want to get to. So I hope you enjoyed today and have a great 48 hours.